0: horses are at the games and they're off welcome to winning ponies with a weekend coming up this is the spot to be for news handicapping and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today now here's your host john englehart racing's regular guy
1: all right. Well, I hope everybody had a fine Thanksgiving and hopefully you had some uh, thanks to give for some of the races you won over the weekend. Uh, there were a whole lot of them. We weren't here last week, but we did replay one of our best shows. I uh, hope you enjoy that if you're trying to get away from the family and see what Winning Ponies was doing last week. So, uh, got a lot of ground to cover with uh, some of the races that have been run and things that have happened uh, in the world of thoroughbred racing. Uh, starting out, we uh, want to introduce you to our guests. Our, our first guest is none other than Sid Fernando. He's the president of ematings.com, also, Work Thoroughbred Consultants. Uh, the owner of Enex uh, if you do any oh, cursory look at uh, horses for sale or horses in catalogs, advertising, you'll always see that this horse is an a neck or an a plus neck or an A-plus-plus-nick or a D-minus-nick. Anyhow, uh, it's a uh, work thoroughbred consultants are the ones that uh, have the uh, nicking pattern that so many people use. I know many people that stay in stallions uh, use a service, so you can actually log on uh to the page that has their stallion on it and then put your mare in there and actually find out what the nick is and what the nick is basically it's how how the families work with each other both the female and the male family uh to uh, produce hopefully stakes winners uh, but what their percentages with certain sire lines so it really kind of helps you with your uh, selection for your mare and uh, it, it's uh, highly valuable and highly used in thoroughbred racing uh, so Sid Fernando will be with us on that and many other subjects I want to ask him about the, uh, the thoroughbred flight that is going on with all the horses taking off to uh, uh, Turkey and Japan uh, most notably California Chrome uh who's going over to japan boy that was a shocker for a lot of people and so we'll be asking sid those questions and then a gentleman that we've had on before he's always a pleasure to talk to uh one of the leading trainers in the midwest though he flies a little under the radar and his name is tom or as many of us know him as tommy drury and uh all I could say is that this guy's laid hands on a lot of good horses uh, during their career, even though they go on to race under other trainers' names. But right now, Tommy, horses conditioned by him are winning at a 23% clip. And I'd say just about any trainer in North America would be happy to trade percentages with Tommy Drury. So we'll be t- talking about, uh, you know, Tom and, you know, his development and also kind of, uh, Uh, The the dedication he has to uh, uh, riders and owners that uh, have backed him up over the years, and uh, it's kind of like he sticks to the idiom, dance with the one that brung you, and he's very loyal uh, to – people that have helped him along the way and he continues to help their careers whether as a rider or as an owner breeder so we'll be talking with uh with tommy drury too uh and that's coming up in a little later portion of the segment meanwhile got a lot to catch you up on we'll see if i can uh, put 10 pounds in a five pound sack for you okay well this weekend a big weekend at the big a and uh we're talking about Aqueduct, obviously, but the Cigar Mile Handicap uh, could be a chance for maximum security to uh, secure an Eclipse Award at the end of the year as top three-year-old. He's certainly been one of the most consistent Uh, They took away his Kentucky Derby win, but other than that, uh, he's earned over $1.3 million this year uh, with a recent win in the Grade 3 Bold Ruler. He took the Grade 1 Haskell, uh, was a game second in the Pegasus on his return from the Derby, won the Florida Derby. Uh, Before that, uh, won races by 18.5 lengths, 6.5, broke his maiden by 9.5, but that was an acclaiming race. He could be running in the claiming crown anyhow maximum security uh, will be going to post a lot of eyes on him but there is no such thing as a sure thing spun to run winner of the breeders cup dirt mile in wire to wire fashion is in the field with irad ortiz in the saddle This is going to be a really good matchup. Again, that is the Cigar Mile Handicap. And uh, on the undercard is a a race that's launched the career of a lot of good two-year-olds, and that is the Remsen Stakes. Kind of hard to find a big standout here. Uh, There uh, aren't many stakes horses in this race. Uh, Some horses uh, coming out of maidens, horses that uh, have... Competed in Grade Ones, but have been off uh, for quite a while. As an Alpha 66, uh, equipment changes. Uh, we got uh, blinkers off and blinkers on. So it'll be very interesting to take a look at both of these races. Again, uh, the the Remsen pretty wide open. I think the Cigar Mile comes down to maximum security and spun to run. But uh, again. Uh, big chance for maximum security with a big score to come up with an Eclipse award in there. Uh, And uh, he'll be the 122-pound starting high weight. Now, uh, there is a very good undercard. Uh, Again, the Remsen uh, offers a quarter million dollars. Uh, Then let's see. uh, We've got uh, the uh, two-time grade winner Spice Perfection Uh, to go in the quarter million dollar go for one stakes. And then you've got uh, juvenile Phillies going in the quarter million dollar Demazelle. So it is going to be a great card. And of course you say, wow, there's so many good horses out there and so many good races this weekend. John, where do I go? You go to WinningPonies.com. pick up the easy win forms. Boy, we had a good day just two days ago. The fourth was a great day for the easy win forms. Uh, you know, at, uh, well, let's go up north at Woodbine, a $1 Super High Five paid 1450 And on the same day at Tampa Bay, a $0.50 cent Super High Five paid $5,800. And let's go to the other part of the Sunshine State at Gulfstream Park, a $1 Super Five returning 2978 You can go to winningponies.com and pull down all of our recent successes and failures, we're very honest about uh, the, how our horses are doing. So uh, don't forget the easy win forms on a weekend that shows us some really, really good racing. Well, let's see if I can't uh, uh, figure out this uh, computer thingy here that'll let me scroll down. There we go. We got it. Uh, also in the news... Uh, Outside of what's going to be happening uh, in New York, uh, down in uh, Florida, we've got the uh, claiming crown is Saturday. Boy, talk about a mixed bag. Uh, You know, it's just – don't forget – (laughs) <laughs> maximum security could be running in this race as a former uh, claiming horse but uh uh jason service who trains maximum security is going to have three horses in the claiming crown of course a lot of different divisions these are i love this series because they are all for horses that once ran for a tag and here's their chance to bring home a, a really good paycheck uh so let's see Uh, there's going to be uh, nine Claiming Crown races. This is Saturday. It's an 11-race program. Uh, First post just before noon, so you can watch this while you're finishing off your breakfast or starting your brunch. And again, that's down at Gulfstream Park. It's the Claiming Crown. Some interesting names, and you'll find some horses maybe you know. Then the next day at Gulfstream Park, uh, you've uh, got the... A Classico del Caribe, and uh, we will, uh, 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 sorry about that, something just happened, and uh, so th- the, the Classico International del Caribe, it's a five-stakes event for Caribbean and Latin American horses, so good luck handicapping this, folks. Uh, There's good horses from Venezuela, Puerto Rico, uh, Panama... Uh, the Mexican horses this year—they say are really good ones. Uh, so it, it's going to be interesting. You know, talk about comparing uh, apples to oranges. This is your day, but it's bringing in some of the top riders. I read Ortiz Jr. Uh, he's ridden six Classico International uh, Caribbean races in the past two years. He'll be back in town. Uh, Johnny V's going to be riding. Uh, of course, uh, the uh, some of the. Outfits are bringing their own jockeys. Uh, uh, Panama is going to be represented with three starters. And uh, Senior Concerto will be riding a five-race win streak into that race. And let's see, I believe we got some uh, Triple Crown winners, Uh Puerto Rico, uh, they've got a horse by the name of Papa Candelo, who's won his four career races by 49 and three quarters length. So again, that is Sunday, and that is at Gulfstream Park. Now, our top jock last week, well, none other than Paco Lopez, uh, went out west of Del Mar, very successful. He landed a graded stakes triple at Del Mar on Saturday. Unbelievable. The $100,000 Jimmy Durante stakes uh, two races later. Upset time $48 on the $100,000 Grade 3 red carpet. But the big one was post time favorite Mo Forza, who scored in the $300,000. Hollywood Derby. Three stakes wins. Congratulations to Paco Lopez. And while we're talking about jacks, congratulations to the one and only Frankie Dettori, Sto- De who repeated at the Longines World's Best Jockey. Uh, It's the second consecutive year, the first rider to do so back-to-back. As you know, if you've uh, watched the races at Ascot, what a day he had that day. A real dominant force. I mean, what can I say? Uh, The the guy will go down in the history books. He's the only three-time winner of this award. So uh, congratulations to Frankie. And uh, always good to hear this uh, for the punters and for the business as well. Uh, The Del Mar meet. And with record daily wagering over the 13 days they established a new standard uh for the season with daily average handle climbing by 8.9 percent to over 11.2 million dollars the race for top jocks went right down to the last day with last fall's riding champ drayden van dyke and newcomer abel cedillo tied for the top spot and uh Cedillo. He's uh, you got to keep that name in mind. A native of Guatemala, who's uh, gone to Southern California, and he did win by one win over Van Dyke, thirteen to twelve. And Richard Baltus was the uh, top trainer. So congratulations to them. And if you were looking for the uh, future, the Kentucky Derby future wager. Well, the top spot went to. We don't know. <laughs> All others, <laughs> uh, if you bet now, you can get in for almost even money at $4.20. Uh, but if you did pick Dennis's moment, right now the payoff is $26. And he's joined at twenty eight twenty by Max Field, who I saw win the Breeders' Futurity, but did make it to the Breeders' Cup. I think it's smart that they backed off him when they did. And then Mike Trombetta's Independence Hall, who will get you $29.60? Again, that's the futures wager. And last week we saw uh, Tom's de Tot make it to the top in the Clark. Going to have to ask uh, our second guest, Tommy Drury, uh, about that horse because uh, he kind of got him ready for Tom Amos. And uh, believe it or not, all the years he's been around, this was Tom de Tot's first grade one win in the Clark Stakes. It used to be the Clark Handicap. Uh, also had some big wins by uh, Gatschew. Stormy, uh, over at Del Mar in the $302,000 matriarch state. That was a grade one turf. Like I said, we all got almost too much to make up and race results, but they're all out there for you to get. Uh, again, hope you had a, a great Thanksgiving weekend and had a good time at the windows. If you did get a chance to sneak out of the house and get to a local track or OTB parlor. All right. Well, again, we just put five, uh, 10 pounds in a five pound sack. We're going to take a little bit of a break here and we can back we're going to talk to one of the world's greatest bloodstock stock agents uh, 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 experts I'd like to say in Sid Fernando with Work Thoroughbred Consultants I'm John Englehart you're listening to Winning Ponies
2: Streaming live the leader in internet talk radio VoiceAmerica.com
1: All right, it's been a long time since we had Sid Fernando on the show. I reached out to him. He was gracious enough to spend some time with us this evening. Of course, he's the president of e Mating's and Work Thoroughbred Consultants, owner of Enix, uh was the bloodstock editor and columnist at the Daily Racing Forum. Uh, he's known around the world as a pedigree writer whose articles have appeared in leading thoroughbred racing and breeding publications. And if you want the hottest story in town... Go to TDN right now. On the front page is a story penned by Sid Fernando on Yoshida, a horse with a very interesting background and race record. But I'm not going to give anything away. Go to TDN and look for the story written by Sid Fernando. Sid, thanks for joining us on Winning Ponies.
3: Hey, my pleasure, John. Uh, good Good to hear from you from all these years. Of course, you and I go way back many, many years.
1: Well, you know, again, talking about going back many years, can you kind of uh, educate our audience as to how, how you got interested in the sport and what drew you to the breeding side of it with your expertise? Oh, my God.
3: That's, uh, <laughs> well, you know, I was uh, always uh, a big racing fan as a kid growing up in the 70s. And uh, I think when I was like 16 years old, I started, uh, I wrote to Leon Rasmussen, who was the uh, bloodstock editor of Daily Racing Form at the time and wrote the great column uh, Bloodlines. And uh, to my surprise, Leon wrote back to me. And so I ended up uh, having a great uh, pen pal type of uh, relationship with Leon uh, you know, as a teenager, all through, uh, college, uh, and then, uh, John, um, I got out of college, started, uh, you know, I've been really interested in breeding, uh, started writing and then I joined daily racing forum, uh, after Leon had left and, uh, racing times too. And, um, I was, as you mentioned, I was bloodstock editor of daily racing forum, and then, uh, from there, I, uh, I, I, I joined, uh, I took over, I uh, worked at Consultants, um, back in, uh, 2011 after my very good friend, Jack Work, who was the president, uh, died. Jack was dying and he, and he knew that at the time and he wanted me to take over. So I did, uh, it was, of course, bittersweet, uh, Jack died in 2011 and, uh, well, since then, you know, I've been you know, here uh, as the president of um, Worked Urban Consultants, uh, and uh, you know, that's that's basically a short version of it
1: <laughs> of a long life story. <laughs> yeah, I, I was blessed yeah. uh, along my career. At one point, I was producing a show for uh, WCPO Channel Nine in Cincinnati called The Stretch Run. It was a half an hour thoroughbred racing show, and uh, both. Uh, uh, Jack Work and Leon Rasmussen were at a conference in Lexington. And I got to go down there, and I th- think I went through back in the days we called it tape uh, at least an hour right. uh, with uh, interviews with these guys, and it was it was just sensational to be around them. And uh, you, you know, they, they were both kind of different in their personality. I mean, Rasmussen was right. kind of like uh, the, the dean, uh, the the grandfather, exactly. and some, someone that had an yeah. amazing uh, uh, sense. Of the history of the sport, and of course his knowledge was just unbelievable. And Jack, you know, uh, you know, a couple decades younger, I think I could reach out and say, um, yeah. he was yep. he was com- coming up, and I think developing the whole uh, idea of nicking and, and nick rating, and then yeah. the Owner Breeder Magazine came out. I was doing some photography for them, and I was just blessed to kind of get them. And I, I still got that tape, though I don't know how to transfer it from three quarter inch, <laughs> but we've got the. But it was just kind of neat to. Be exposed to those guys back then. I mean, I'm going back a good yeah. 20 years, and uh, you know, it was kind of it kind of piqued my interest in this whole idea of nicking, and uh, it was somewhat new. Uh, you did have uh, Dr. Stephen Romans and his dosage index, and it was just kind of fun to delve into those things and see what they were talking about, and kind of like the whole development of nicking. But you, you've kind of take it to a whole nother level. Of, of course, back then things weren't computerized. And, and right. so, you know, you have at your fingertips an amazing resource to find out what family should be with what family because you've already got the proven results.
3: Yeah, no, that's true. And that's, a, what, that, wow, what a great interesting story because Leon and I ended up being, extre- you know, extremely good friends, John. I mean, I used to go out to visit Leon. He lived in California. And... uh you know, Jack was older than me, so you can imagine how much older Leon was than I was. Uh, uh-huh. So, uh, you know, Leon, you know, when I was in my 30s, Leon was in his 70s. and uh, But we ended up being extremely, extremely, really good friends. And, um, boy, I, you know, back then, weren't you writing, uh, weren't you, uh, like, sending in briefs from Cincinnati the daily racing Forum, too I kind of remember that.
1: Yeah, as a matter of fact, if you want to call it I, I, I was the bloodlines writer for uh Midwest more of Ohio at yeah. the time. I can't I can't believe yeah. you remember that. Yeah,
3: sure, I always remember that. John Engelhardt, the byline, sure.
1: That's funny. That's funny, but yeah. th- those guys th- they were they were the impetus to it and you've kind of taken it to another level. I want to get to that, but before I do Whatever happened to Dr. Stevens Roman and does, have things changed so much that, remember around derby time we would all be fascinated by the dosage index? Does that even exist in any form now?
3: Uh, Well, you know, he was the guy who was really doing it and naming the chefs the rock. Yes. And uh, he he, he just stopped um, several years ago. And so, in essence, it's kind of fell into disrepair. Uh, there's still dosage that's given. And, uh, you know, it's interesting you mention that because people will be shocked at the number of some fairly big breeders that are so still so interested in that. Um, we have, uh, you know, we have a, in our company, we have a client, Charles Fitke who's very, very interested in dosage, you know. And we've set up for him, his own private uh, kind of dosage database where it's not available to everyone, anyone except him, where he, he actually, we've updated it for him. Uh, sort of as if Dr. Roman would have been doing it, but they but you know, dosage is still available. It's just, uh, Leon at the time, you know, wrote about it wrote about it in the daily racing form. Uh, using Dr. Roman's, uh, information. And, you know, once Leon died and retired and then years later when Dr. Roman just retired, uh, it, it's kind of just fallen by the wayside for the general, uh, populace.
1: Well, yeah, I just, I had to ask you that now. Um, <clears throat> Let me move on to something that probably our listeners are, are somewhat familiar with. It if they're if they're not entrenched in, you know, the actual uh, the details of what goes into a a, a nick is where are our nicks going? I mean, it's like every day I, I go online and we've got so many horses. Of course, the the the, the big eye popper was California Chrome uh, going to Japan. But, I mean, it's like, um, you know, we we just had Super Saver and Daredevil are going to Turkey. Uh, There's been 11 American stallions that have been sold to Turkish interests just since 2017. Bluegrass Cat, Air Vice Marshal, (laughs) Trap Shot, Bodemeister, Runaway and Hide. Um, You know, we're seeing this happen. And then we're seeing, you know, horses that are being not even American stallions that are upon retirement for the Breeders' Cup, are going to Japan. What do you make of this, and how does it impact uh, the breed in North America?
3: A really great question, and I'll tell you what. um, What you just mentioned is part, I start off my story in the TVN based on exactly that. You know, know, Japan has a great interest in Kentucky Derby when it's obviously Sunday silence, went there and, and just turned everything around, made that right. a leading superpower. Uh, you know, this year alone, aside from California Chrome, Animal Kingdom's going to stand there next year, too. So that's two Derby winners right there. They'd also brought, uh, I'll have another, uh, and he wasn't very successful. He came back here, and uh, the, the Derby winner, Baffert, had a war, Was that Derby winner in uh, Prince, Ahmed, uh, war emblem. that's down at Old friends. War emblem. Yeah. He went to Japan too. You know, they've always, they've always done that. And, uh, keep in mind, as you point out, that our potential horse of the year candidate, bricks and mortar is going to stand there next year. Right. Uh, new year's day. Who's the sire of maximum security first past and post in this derby. This year is in Japan. now. Uh, so uh, yeah, there's great uh, interest in Japan and Turkey, as you mentioned, because Meister the sire, the Derby winner, always dreaming is now in Turkey. Daredevil is interesting, John, because his first crop are just two this year, and he's gone. Yeah, California Chrome. Right. He doesn't even have runners yet, and he's gone. You know.
1: Well, th- that's what happened so. to Hansen, right? Hansen Hans- went after one year. Yeah, yeah,
3: exactly. Korea. Yeah.
1: I mean. Don't don't you, you know, think that as a farm owner, uh, before you made such a bold move, you'd at least want to look at his first crop of babies to see are they all crooked or do they look fantastic yeah. before you broker you a deal so. like that? Yeah,
3: you would definitely think so, and uh, you know that's what uh, kind of what's happened, John, is that there's so much commercial pressure now because what happens is. Say a horse like California Chrome he goes to stud for a $40,000 stud fee. You know, you get through your first and second year that way, that's fine. But by the time you get to your third and fourth year, they have to drop the price to thirty five. But they are not going to get the demand or the quality of mares in the third and fourth year because people are more interested in going to the new flavor in town. It's such a commercial marketplace, and the first crop size are the ones everyone wanna go, wants to go to so there 's this downward this huge pressure on these stallions for their third and fourth books, and what happens is the Japanese or the Turkish or the Koreans will come in and concentrate on those horses, make offers and the money is usually greater than what these horses can make during those few years and right. so significantly more so as you know syndicate managers they're just like corporate uh, Corporate money managers were beholden to shareholder interest, and they take that money right up front. And so that's basically what happened with uh, California Quo and a lot of these horses.
1: Well, I do think that Elliot Walden might hedge his bets in that he leaves an option that if after two years they hit a home run in North America, he can go and get them yeah. back, although it's going to cost them.
3: Yeah, and that's what he did with Take Charge Indy. Right. Take Charge Indy was sold to Korea, and then his you know runners started doing well. They had that option, and he nailed it right there. He went, he went there, and he bought that horse back. You know, on the flip side to it, speaking of Elliot Walden, and that's what my column's about today, uh, Yoshida. Uh, here's a horse they went to Japan and bought as a weanling. Raced him here. He's by heart's cry, sent a son of Sunday silence. Out of the U.S. grade one winner, by the way, and, um, so they brought him here, raced him, and now they're going to stand him here, which is kind of going against the grain of, they're bringing <laughs> a Japanese horse here. Right. And, uh, so that's going to be really interesting to see. Uh, uh, certainly add some diversity, diversity to the, to the, to the bloodlines here. And, uh, you know, there's another horse from Japan, Kara who, uh, at Gainesway. Yes. Uh, he's had three stakes winners this year with his first craft two year olds. And, and to your point, uh, Empire Maker was sent to Japan. He didn't right. do much there for five years, and they brought him back to Gainesway. So, you know, we're having, there's been a few, there's been a little traffic the other way. And all of this I kind of mentioned in my column today in the TDN.
1: Yeah, again, ladies and gentlemen, the TDN. Uh, it's right on the front page uh, you're getting it hot yep. off the microphone here uh, with Sid Fernando uh, well Sid listen I I gotta I, next time I gotta book you for an hour because you were such yeah, a that <laughs> you're such a great resource, uh, but I, I just wanted to reach out to you. and It had been a while, and I was online. I saw your name. I listened to your interview with Steve Bick, and I know uh, – let me just see if I've got this right because I want to get uh, as many much information, not only about your writing, uh, but also is it every Wednesday at 10 in the morning you're on with Steve Bick at At The Races? Yeah.
3: Yeah, every oh. every Wednesday at ten, I'm on after races with Steve Bick, and I appreciate that. Yeah, it's uh, it's great that he does that because we we get a chance like we have been right now to talk pedigrees, which is great, and it's wow. well received, and you know.
1: He's a fun interviewer. I enjoy him. I mean, he's he's well-rounded. He's well-educated. But you, you could just sense that he's very easy to talk to. I've actually had him on a, as a guest because it's like, hey, uh, Steve, how about I put you on the other side of the microphone and we find out about you? You know, I still don't uh-huh. know how he does it five days a week I, I you don't know how many hours i put in just for an hour uh the guy must just eat sleep and drink horse racing but anyhow your interview's yeah. on there that's that's up to if anybody wants to go and get that i mean uh i i just uh, earlier this week listened to uh this week's interview well sid fernando sad to say my producer's banging on the window he's saying hey we got to sell some commercials here john if you want to stay on the air so i got to go but sid it's been a pleasure God, it's been don't- a pleasure All right, don't forget, folks, you can hear him at 10 o'clock every morning on Sirius Radio at At The Races with Steve Bick. That's Sirius uh, 219, XM 201, and Online Sports Zones at 964. And uh, after the show's done, I want you to go over TDN and read the news story on Yoshida. Sid Fernando, you're the best. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Josh. All right, we'll see you. We're gonna take a quick break, and we come back. My main man, Tommy Drury, getting press out of Louisville uh, for some of the uh, behind-the-scenes work he's doing with Grade One stakes winners. So, no further ado, I'll take a break. I'm John Engelhart. You're listening to Winning Ponies. Mm-hmm.
2: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track?
1: All right. And with me now, a gentleman I've gotten to know over the years and uh, things just keep getting better. His name is Tom Drury. I'm sure if you were a horse owner and you were uh, going up on owner viewers someplace and saying, well, who's one of the winningest trainers in this neck of the woods? Uh, You'd see Tom Drury's name pop up. He's winning now at a 23 percent clip for the year. That's not bad at all. Tommy, how you doing, my friend? I'm great, John. Thanks for having me. Well, listen, um, you know, I, I found out that uh, you, you had some background work on, on uh, Tom's Day Tot, uh, who just won his first Grade One win. But we'll get to that. What, what also, what I saw in the release from Churchill Downs was something I didn't know. I asked you if you rode, and now I find out that at one point you were galloping. But I didn't realize that your father. Galloped horses T- tell me a little about about those early years and you know hanging out in the pickup truck with your dad going places
4: oh yeah, yeah he he galloped horses uh and and you know he always trained a horse or two on on the side and uh, oddly enough uh, he he worked at skylight training center and you know I can remember when I was a kid first going to the barn with him, uh, you know my job was to to sweep the alleyway there at, at skylight you know as they were cleaning stalls and whatnot and You know, after going to the racetrack and getting my trainer's license and doing various different things, you know, in the horse industry, I've I've now made my way back to Skylight Training Center. So I guess my life's kind of come full circle.
1: But I did not know you actually galloped. I did. Yes, sir. I did. See, because I, I asked you one time, I said, "Did you ever ride?" and you said, "No." And I guess you maybe you thought I meant competitively, but yeah, uh, I never. I never rode races. I galloped. Uh, I galloped horses
4: at Churchill. I worked for Bill Mott, uh, Frankie Brothers, uh, Brian Mayberry. I got on some horses for Wayne Lucas when he was, you know, when he was rolling along. So I, yeah, you know, I was kind of, you know, I kind of stuck around Churchill. But I, I yes, I, I did gallop for a long time.
1: Well, you surrounded yourself and of course got, some- got
4: on my own horses early on.
1: Well, you surrounded yourself with some good people. You just mentioned their names. So what was your first entrance into the training game? It sounds to me that it was pretty easy for you to just kind of ease into it. I got my trainer's license
4: when I was 18. I took the test in Kentucky, and uh, I think I ran my first horse when I was 19. It took me – it actually took me several years to, to win my first race, and uh, and then it was it was several more years before – You know, before my career really started to take off any at all, Um, and uh, it's just, it's really, it's been a long, slow process, but it, it, you know, we just kind of keep showing up every day and working hard, and, and, you know, it's it's starting to to all come together for us now.
1: It it really is. Now, one horse that wasn't mentioned in the release that I know about is you had a lot to do with the early development of the Eclipse Award winner, Hanson we did. We, we, we got Hanson in the fall of his yearling
4: year. And I actually had him through most of the summer of his two-year-old year. And then, uh, we, we sent him into Mike maker who, you know, who of course ran him at Turfway that fall and, and, uh, and then on to, on to win the breeders cup with him. And, and yeah, we, I'd like to feel like we, you know, we played a little part in his success. Um, you know, a, a lot of his, initial school and you know he did through us and and i'd like to think that that somewhere along the way some of that some of that helped him to get to where he was
1: oh don't be modest now tommy of course that's your way you're not you're not <laughs> braggadocious now uh, something i want to know about because i you know i used to see this uh Sky workouts in the past performances and people go where the hell is Sky? Uh, can you describe to us what Skylight Training Center is and is it kind of a private training center? Just you give us like uh, you let us look through your eyes and see what Skylight Training Center looks like. It
4: uh, it it it. it, it today it's a semi-private training center uh there's three of us there it has a three-quarter of a mile racetrack and starting gates and you know everything that you would have at, at, at any other racetrack in the country uh in the early 80s uh blackie and neil huffman owned it and uh that was when my dad galloped there i was a kid uh ben huffman who's now the racing secretary at churchill downs uh you know he's just a few years older than i am he was around there and uh you know, we all we he and I kind of grew up together there at Skylight, and uh, and it's uh, it's since then changed hands a couple of different times, uh, and uh, I was able to I was able to move over there about ten years ago, and and it's really it, it's really helped kind of take my career to the next level. I it, you know it just seemed like once I got there and. And got settled it just seemed like a lot more doors started opening up for me and it's uh you know to me it's 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 just home uh it's it's where i want to be and uh you know i'm i'm as comfortable at skylight as i am any racetrack in the country
1: now, Tommy, if I want to come down and see some of your horses training or horses you might be working with for other trainers, could I just drive up to Skylight, or is, do they stop you and look for a license or no, anything? It, no, no, there's nothing.
4: You know, it's it, it's really just a just a working man's farm. There's nothing. You know, we don't have the big gates out front or anything like that. Uh, uh, you just you just Google the address and. And show up, and and uh, you know somebody's gonna gonna come out and introduce themselves. So it's uh, yeah, it, it's it's just a it's it's you know it's got a, a really good surface. We've got the ProRide surface, which is an artificial artificial surface on our racetrack, and uh, you know it's just it really works well for what we're all trying to do there.
1: Now, how do you compare ProRide to either Polytrack or Topetta? Uh, you know
4: it. It's one of those things that I I think everybody's got their own opinion on artificial surfaces. I've always liked the pro ride surface. Uh, I think it transfers a little bit closer to dirt than some of the other artificial surfaces do. I don't think they, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the complaint was, you know, with the poly track was that horses kind of jammed into it a little bit and they would get jammed up. And I think the pro has got a lot more give to it and they, you know, they get that slide that they need. Um, but yet you still get the, the all weather effect of it. And, you know, of course, when you're training horses in Kentucky in January, that's a good thing. I, I, I think that probably, you know, I, I don't want to say it gives us an edge over the people that are stabled at Turfway, but, you know, people that are trying to train on dirt tracks in the wintertime, we might, we might have a little advantage over them in the winter.
1: Now, Tom, is it one of the other advantages of uh, having, shall I say, a private uh, uh, training center? Uh, the fact that you're not under constraints of, hey, you got to get off the track because we got to harrow the track for this afternoon's races. I mean, what is it a more relaxed schedule? Do you get to uh, gallop uh, counterclockwise sometimes? Uh, explain that to me. Is it open all day for you? How does that work? yeah the track doesn't close
4: um you know they usually they don't they don't do any kind of maintenance work to it until late in the afternoon, so the track really doesn't close and uh you know i'll send my first set usually around seven in the morning and and uh you know some days we may have six sets some days we may have ten sets it just depends on what's going on in that particular day, how many horses we've got, and whatnot but uh yeah that that that's probably my favorite thing about skylight is there's it's just such a laid back environment you know the Uh, the grooms are there up until lunchtime. They take, you know, they take a little lunch break. They come back in the afternoon, finish up their chores. And, uh, you know, you're just not quite as pressed for time. Like you would be at the racetrack. You know, those guys are trying to, you know, the track closes and then you're trying to get ready for the races. And, you know, it just seems like it's a, it's a little more hectic on the racetrack. And, uh, you know, we've got some paddocks, round pens, things of that nature. And we try to take advantage of those and, you know, just let the horses be horses as much as we can.
1: I was going to say, that's not only a benefit to you and your staff, but a benefit to the horses.
4: Absolutely, no question. You know, a lot of green grass, um, you know, we just, uh, you know, we really just try to keep the horses in in their natural environment as much as we possibly can.
1: Uh, I think another big advantage of working for a place like Skylight Training Center is you don't have a racing secretary that tells you you can't go off the grounds or you can't come back. I, I think that's absolutely the biggest advantage of, uh, you know, if somebody sends me a horse at Skylight,
4: uh, you know, if it's going to do at Churchill or, you know, Keeneland, a place like that, then we certainly, you know, we're, we're ready to go with that way. But if, uh, you know, if it's a, a, a little bit lesser horse or it needs to, you know, maybe try, you know, Belterra or Indiana Downs or, 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 or something like that, you know, we can always go to plan B and, and, and not have to worry about anyone hanging it over our head.
1: Absolutely. That, that's got to be a huge take the pressure off you because I know you got friends that tr- train off the track and it's like they find out if they ship out more than twice with the horse, the <laughs> racing secretary says, hey, don't bring them back here. Uh, this is not a training center, you know, even though the opportunity makes a logical sense for the trainer and his owner uh, and th- that racing secretary might not be riding a race for your horse. They still get kind of mad when you leave their grounds.
4: Yeah, they do. And I, you know, and it's, uh, it, it's competitive, you know, everyone's trying to fill their races. They're trying to offer a good product and, uh, and, you know, I mean, I, let's face it, five horse fields don't do a whole lot for the, for the racing industry and, 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 you know, and you understand where they're coming from. It's the racing secretary's job to make sure that they have as full of fields as possible. And when you've got guys leaving your racetrack to go race somewhere else, uh, you know, I, I could certainly see it from both sides, but, uh, But with me being at Skylight, that's a non issue. And, uh, you know, it it definitely makes my life a little easier to not have to worry about that.
1: Tommy, I've probably known you for about over a decade now, showing our age. Um, But I I think one observation I've made of you, if you will allow me to say, is that um, you've got a lot of loyalty to the people that have backed you over the years. Uh, uh, People like Steve Belford at Maccabee Farm, who competes not only on the Kentucky circuit, but uh, I'm familiar with him from some of the Ohio horses uh, you've trained, uh, the $150,000 Best of Ohio winner, uh, Tough It Up, who I believe is standing a stud now. But I'm just throwing out Steve as one client. I see other clients of yours that you've stuck with over the years. They're loyal to you. And I also see your loyalty, um, it seems like, dance with the one that brung you, uh, uh, people like John McKee and Malcolm Franklin. These guys don't set the headlines on fire, but they sure ride your horses the way you want them ridden. And I'm sure they're a part of that 23% win percentage.
4: Uh, there's no question. Johnny and Malcolm are like two of are they're like my little brothers. I love them both to death. Uh, you know, I think they both bring different things to the table and, you know, they're each going to fit different horses, different ways. But, uh, I, you know, I, I, I mean, I, we've had a great year. Uh, you know, whether it was at Belterra, I, I, you know, I was just delighted with our Churchill meet. Uh, you know, it certainly went a little better than we expected it to, and we had horses down there this year for the first time in a long time. And and uh, I, you know, I, Johnny just won a race for me at Churchill the other day, and and uh, you know, I had I had no no problem at all bringing him in to ride against those guys. I, I knew he'd fit right in with them.
1: Well, when he was an apprentice, he was the leading rider down there. So it's exactly, like you, exactly,
4: yeah.
1: It's not like you forgot what he learned uh, all of those years. Uh, but again, it, it says a lot for you and uh, the people you surround yourself with. And and I think they return the loyalty you give to them. It, it's, a, it's a two-way street for sure. And I, I think people from the outside are watching, Tommy, and – one of the things that I know from behind the scenes that a lot of people don't uh, just things like uh, your relationship with people like uh, Al Stahl Bill Mott I, I believe Steve Asmussen uh, tell me about you know how those guys kind of um, shall I say employ uh, Tommy Drury at times to help them out well I, I you know Bill Mott got it all started for me uh, you know he gave
4: me an opportunity early on to to do some layups and surgery horses for him, legging up two year olds, things of that nature. And that kind of led to him leaving a horse or two with me to race. And, you know, and then him may, you know, maybe a horse wasn't doing in his program, he would advise, uh, you know, that owner to, to maybe let me have the opportunity to train the horse. Uh, you know, you mentioned Steve Belford. I actually met Steve Belford through Bill Mott. Uh, uh the first horse I ever had for Steve was, a uh, Two-year-old filly that had gotten shin sore, and Bill sent her out to me. Steve owned her, and and that's actually how he and I how he and I met. Um, you know, de- several years later, he was looking for somebody to, you know, to take a few horses in Ohio, and you know, of course, Bill, that's not not his cup of tea. But you know, for Tommy Drury, it's uh, it's been a major opportunity to get my foot in the door with him. So, uh, so yeah, it's uh, you know, those guys have been great to me, and we just try to you know, we just try to do what they want and try to do things as close to their program as we possibly can. And I ask a lot of questions and, and, uh, you know, for my own educational purposes and, and just being able to work with those guys, I, I think it's, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's helped my career to, to go leaps and bounds.
1: Well, you know, now, uh, tell me a little bit about, uh, how you came in contact with and what you did with Tom's, the Tot, the recent grade one winner of the Clark. You know, when he first, uh, when he first
4: came to me, uh, he's certain he, he wasn't Tom's death hot at the time. He was, uh, you know, he was what Al, Al Stahl called this, you know, this is a very nice horse. He's had some setbacks, but, uh, you know, I, I've, I've kind of learned in dealing with Al over the years that, you know, when Al says, you know, I think this horse might be able to run a little bit, you, you, you need to prick your ears and pay attention because he, he, you know, he knows exactly what he's got and, uh, you know, obviously that, that all paid off when he won the Clark at Churchill. Uh uh he required a lot of patience. You don't normally see horses his age winning their first grade one at that age and and, and I think it's just a reflection of Al and his you know, his thought process and his patience and, and uh you know, just uh just knowing exactly what kind of horse he had all along and being willing to give him the time to to let it all come together.
1: Uh, It's got to be, though, really uh, horses like Tom's day tot and let's go back a few years to Hanson. Uh, Deep down inside, though, you don't tell anybody about it. Does it give you a, a personal sense of pride knowing you were part of that horse's career? You know,
4: just, uh, uh yeah, I mean, I, and I think that goes back to all, I mean, I, gosh, you, you know, you go to some of these breeding farms and, you know, the people that breed these horses, they're, you know, the yearling people there, you know, we're all equally excited to just have played a small part in, in that horse's success. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, believe me, this was, this was all Al Stahl and, and his staff and, and, and the job that they did, but, you know, there for a short time, Tommy Dury did have him in the barn and we were able to, to oversee him and be responsible for him. And, uh, you know, fortunately we were able to stay out of his way and he kept moving forward after he left us. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it means a lot to all
3: of us.
1: Well, uh, Tommy Drury, uh, also I know that you've made some inroads with one of the greatest farms of all time, uh, that being Claiborne Farm. Have you continued re- your relationship with, uh, with Walker Hancock and Claiborne?
4: I have. I, uh, you know, Walker's been great. Uh, it's, it's just. I mean, gosh, what do you say? I mean, it's the opportunity of a lifetime. And, you know, when you when you think about the the history and the the trainers that they've had over the years, and uh, you know, just to be able to include yourself in in that category, I mean, that within itself is, is you know, that that that's probably uh, that's that's probably been one of the biggest highlights of my career thus far is, is being able to to just say that i've you know i've won races for claiborne farm
1: it it is pretty impressive when you see those mustard yellow silks go across the finish line well tommy it has been a pleasure and it was a whole lot of hard work for me because i know enough about your background that this was an easy interview but believe me uh you deserve all the credit you're getting the attention from churchill downs and uh the loyalty, the people that back you, and hopefully there'll be even more new clients, never to the point that you're overwhelmed, to the point you still have an influence on their career, and you know I wish you nothing but the best, Tom. John, thank you so much for having me. All right, that that was Tommy Drury. Uh, earlier in the program, we had Sid Fernando, also giving you a heads up, folks. We got the Cigar Mile handicap, a great undercarded Aqueduct, including the wide open Remsen, where I think there's some great betting opportunities. But what do I know? I know the people at Winning Ponies know a lot, so. Visit the site and check it out. The easy win forms very reasonable. And you heard me quote some of the winners that uh, we had just in the last couple of days. It's a great way to go on a weekend that has a great card racing starting to kick back up again. So uh, that's a great way to go. Uh, I appreciate you very much for listening. and again, if you've got friends that either haven't heard the show or you know missed an episode and you say, "Hey, did you hear Tommy Drury on winning ponies?" Call them up and tell them because all these shows are on podcast. Of course, none of it could be done. I am so blessed that they give me the best producer at Voice America. And my man, gosh, by Josh, I'm I'm greatly a tribute to him. You talk about Thanksgiving. I'm very thankful for Josh being my producer. I guess they figured I needed all the help I could get, so they assigned me to this show. So for Winning Ponies, I'm John Englehart. Remember, when you go to the races, bet with your head,
0: not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Englehart.